Previously on The Tony Kornheiser Show. One of the things that's great about newspapers is the inherent history and lineage of newspapers. And you got to know who Jack Anderson was because he was the first great investigative reporter. And you got to know who Art Buckwald was because he was the first great humor columnist. And you got to know Red Smith and Shirley Povich because they're the greatest sports writers of all time. So Joe Atkinson, I love you, but you got to know those people. And if people of a younger age don't know them, the hell with them. (laughs) The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. I was channeling my inner Wilbon at the end of that, I think. I think I was. Uh, From Bob Walsh in Wethersfield, Connecticut, as in years past, I'm requesting your help to get the word out about Summer of Littles, which is taking place this year on August 6th. I believe that's a Saturday, right? August 6th, maybe? Yes. In 34 cities and towns in Australia, Canada, and in the United States. Summer of Littles is an annual gathering which provides your listeners with an opportunity to meet fellow Littles in their local communities. This year... In addition to the usual restaurants and breweries, there are venues and ballparks, a bookstore, and once again at Bells Up Winery in Oregon. To make sure that littles who are hopelessly remote, agoraphobic, or just prefer to stay home and eat over the sink are included, sounds personal, there's also a Zoom call (laughs) referred to as the virtual venue. So once again... Summer of Littles takes place on August 6th. What date of the week is that? That is indeed Saturday. a Saturday. Yes. Littles Saturday. can learn about this year's event and RSVP for the venue of their choice by visiting the website summeroflittles.com. That's from Bob Walsh in Weathersfield, Connecticut. We have a lot of personal things to go through on the show before we start the show. One is this show, and me personally, extend our condolences and sympathies to the family of Terry Lindsay. Terry Lindsay passed away recently. He's... He, along with Mandy Orsman, built huge car businesses in the Washington, D.C. area. Um, I knew Terry Lindsay a little. I know his son, Chip. Um, we're very sorry and, and extend condolences to the entire family. Um, we also thank, on a personal level, and I, I think I'm right on this, John Fitzpatrick. Because once again, someone from the White House sent us or sent Michael and Liz... Tell them what you got. Oh, this is a celebration of our third child. Yeah. The captain. And signed by the current president, Joe Biden. Others have been signed by the former president, Donald Trump. And John Fitzpatrick used to work in the White House. I don't think he does anymore because he moved to Colorado, but he still has connections. So I'm going to assume that we should thank him. Uh, I have... I got this for you, by the way. That You said you love the Drifters. Oh, yes. So I got I, that for you. Save the last dance for me. 45 yeah. so from Atlantic Records. It's fantastic. From Peter Jennings, you can, you can not play that them the Peter Jennings. <laughs> Our shopping tour of New Zealand candy stores has regrettably come to an end. Uh, hope these meet your exacting standards. Golf bling to follow with separate shipment from Peter. And I have a bunch of candy from New Zealand here, which I will share with everyone on the show. Did you get a tracking number for the golf bling? I didn't do that yet. No, I didn't do that. My thanks to Chris Lindsay, Lindsley, who sent me a book about Funland. He wrote a book about Funland in Rehoboth Beach. My thanks on that. And I played golf the other day with a guy named Ian Knight at Rehoboth. And big, strong guy, um, born and raised in Canada, lives in... Delaware now was taught we were talking about the fact that he had a cottage in Canada that his father originally bought around a lake like it's actually at Lake Huron I think um we were just talking and he started talking about a book by George is it Pepper or Peeper do you think the former editor of golf let's go with Pepper called two years in St. Andrews we're just talking about it he sent it to me which is very very nice I appreciate that really nice I wanted to congratulate. I want Michael to see this. I don't know how many of you people saw it. Remember Dave Sims talked about the panel he was hosting? Right. Yes. yes. At the All-Star Game. It was a panel about diversity. It was essentially, the peg was Jackie Robinson and the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson um, integrating Major League Baseball. Uh, and also that Rachel Robinson, his widow, turned 100 the other day. Turned 100. Anyway, on this particular panel, he had Andre Dawson... And he had Edwin Jackson, and he had Jimmy Rollins, and he had Tim Raines, and he had, and I'm blanking on the gentleman's name, but he is the curator, in effect, of the Negro Leagues Museum. And they spoke for about 50 minutes and then took some questions. It was really good. I'm proud of Dave. I mean, and I commend people to watch this. I'm sure MLB.com can get it for you. I'm, I'm sure they're proud of it as well. So I wanted to mention that. What else did I want to mention? I wrote these things down. Um, 
played with Steve Rose and the member guests last week at Rehoboth. We came in second in our flight. It was a very odd, our flight, let me just say this, that our score for second place in our flight would not have been second place in any other flight. Scores are different flight by flight. We were in the next to last flight, the weakest next to last, weakest flight. But we played pretty well. We made some money. And by we, I mean me, because it's shop credit. And Steve Rose doesn't belong because it's a member guest, and I belong, so I ate his shop credit. So, Michael, I got some shop credit now. Which is nice. At Rehoboth. That's, always that's nice. really nice. You can treat Liz to a sweater one day. Yeah, I can happily do that. Or, uh, you know, stuff for the kids. You know, they have small kids. Oh, they have a kids. kid selection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have small kids stuff. So, I'll tell you the format. You don't, you're not playing. It's just two 18-hole matches. And one of them was against people that were not even in our flight. It just didn't seem to matter. It was your best ball on the 18. Now, Steve and I get a lot of dots. We get strokes. You know, we got, I think I got 14 and he got 15, or I got 15 and he got 14, or I got 13. It was something like that. So if you get an actual par, a par four, you can write down three net. It's a net event. You can write down three net. We did pretty well the first day. We led our flight. We were minus five the first day. We shot 67 combined the first day, and we were minus five, and we led our flight, and we won $75 worth of shop credit, which is good. It's nice. So the next day, if you have a, a, a natural par that becomes birdie on the score, you don't even care. You're not going to do better. You're not going to get a natural birdie. We aren't any good. We're not getting any birdies. Who is the captain on the team? Willis Reed's always the captain. <laughs> He's the captain. And then Derek Jeter is the captain. Well, Steve played, I played better than Steve the first day. He played better than me the second day. Were you guys changing strategy based on what player one put into play? Strategy? We're trying to just keep the ball in the short grass once in a while, not go OB. We don't have any strategy. We're not that good. Please return cart, pad, or cart to the path. Yeah. So, I mean, and Steve, Steve played well the second day. I played well the first day. But if you're in a situation where you know you're not going to get better, you're not even, it doesn't matter. You're concentrating only on those holes where you think you can improve. Because, for example, you have to pick up, um, you have to pick up plus two. Let me explain this. Let's say there's a par five, and you're each getting a stroke. So if you each get seven, which is a, bo- a double bogey, which is not very good, if you get seven, you write down six because it's seven, six. So you stop at eight because at eight, you're seven and you're two over. And this, it's, is a, this is a pace of play killer. Yeah. So, oh, I, but they design it so it helps the pace. Sure. Of play. They, on paper, it looks like it'll speed it up. And now you have people who are lining up putts for a seven, six trying to save that bogey. Yeah. So we had a few holes like that. We had some five fours on a par three. You know, we had situations where we could improve. And in four cases, the next day we improved. We shot 68 the next day, net. It's not even really net. It's just we improved on four holes. We could have improved on seven holes. Both of us missed situations where we should have improved. I was on in two on one, and I three-putted. I got five-four. I mean, I should have gotten four-three. Steve had the same situation a couple times. Anyway, we got caught and passed from behind by a group we never knew. We don't know who they are, and so we didn't win. But we came in second in the flight, so we got an extra like 25 bucks. So that's $100 each in shop credit, so that's 200 for me. <laughs> and we had a good time. You know, we had a, a lovely time playing, so it was nice. The weather was good. Does that shop credit, does that extend to any any outlet stores or anything like that? No. You Tango take outlets? Calvin, Calvin Klein? No. Can't do it. No, but I can, you know, I mean, it's, it's I can buy a nice pair of shoes. Sure. Drive by the old bass outlet longingly. Yeah, but I can't. Oh, the bass outlet's gone. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, oh, it, it doesn't even go, it's not even there anymore. Okay. No, and I used to, that was my, my first choice outlet. Thankfully, store. you're stocked up. Yeah, I was going to say, how many, yeah. how many pairs do you have? I still have a couple of pairs. Okay. Two or three. And I'm not going to live long enough to use them. I mean, don't worry about it. So what else do I have? Oh, I, the, the other thing I wanted, I, I don't, I, I'm going to at some point crush ADT. ADT security. Just, I had an impossible situation with them yesterday. Absolutely impossible. You know, they're always, they put you on hold and they put you on hold for literally 40 minutes. For 40 minutes. And, and throughout the entire hold, they're telling you how quick their responses are when you need them. Well, I'm sitting here saying I need you. And, and there's no response. And I'm on hold for 40 minutes. And then I go through three different people to get something done. I just, I'm done with them. Done with them. But I, Wanted to talk a little bit, because I know Michael's 
has opinions about this. The Charles Barkley thing with the Saudi tour. Story, a couple of stories in the New York Post in recent days. One was that Henrik Stenson was going to give up his captaincy for the European squad in the Ryder Cup in order to join the Saudi tour and take their cash money. Michael, your thoughts on that? Uh, look, this was on the table uh, with Stenson. They basically said to him, you have to make a choice. And you have to remember that at the time, the European, uh, the DP World Tour had a pipeline of future captains that was very long. And Stenson knew to pick his moment. He decided to side with that to get the captaincy. This was Which back is an in, honor. Yes, this is an honor. This is back in the late winter when it looked like the Saudi-backed tour might never get off the might never get off the floor. This is right after Phil's comments. It, it does. It looks like it's beginning to grow a little bit. So he decides to go there. He's been crushed for it. But at the same time, you're beginning to look at what maybe a decade, two decades of the European team for the Ryder Cup could look like in terms of leadership. And you start to go, it's very thin. They don't have Sergio. They don't have Westwood. They don't have Poulter. And those guys have been great Ryder Cup players. They're going to be banned from the Ryder Cup if this stands up. Anybody else they don't have? It's beginning to look again. Everyone always said it's more than an exhibition. And you start to say, no, no, it is an exhibition that is put on by two governing bodies. Yeah, making, fun to watch. Very fun to watch. And it took on, I mean, frankly, it probably took a turn for the worse after the 91 uh, War at the Shore. Uh, it never got more eyeballs because of that. But then you looked at how on paper the Americans should have been stacked for, you know, two decades and they ended up losing. And you look at the actual careers of Lose on like, the road often. You looked at the careers of people like Ian Poulter. And part of that is the way that the European fans were able to rally together. And now that has been you know, put down a little bit. If you listen to some of those live players, the treatment at St. Andrews was not necessarily what the media was, was making it out to be. So uh, side note for the record, the live story, I'm not tossing this to you. I'm getting very tired of all this stuff, but let's go back to Charles. Yeah. Who'd sell his relatives out for $200 million. Would kill them. Direct quote. No, no said for a hundred million dollars. I'd kill one of my relatives, even one that I liked. (laughs) Charles Barkley is the voice and face of American sports on television now. He's it. Um, I know Charles a little bit, like Charles very much. Charles has said he's thinking about getting involved with the Saudi tour. He's apparently pals with Greg Norman. They played around together the other day. Greg Norman is very smart, very conniving, and I say that with respect. He's very conniving. He's very smart. He has made some mistakes along the way in terms of public relations. But boy, he's gotten good players to go over there with the money that he's dangling. And he's spaced it out pretty well so that there's a new story every week. So they're pals, Norman and Barkley. And apparently Barkley has been offered. David Ferretti took this. We talked about this last week. David Ferretti took their money and Charles Barkley has been offered or is about to become offered their money. Charles Barkley, according to what you read in the paper, and don't believe it necessarily in terms of money, because my salaries are always wildly inflated, so you, you don't know, but it is said that he makes about $10 million from Turner. He makes a lot more from the countless, it's, we've got to countless now commercials that he does. He, do, he does more than Shaq. He does the most commercials of anybody in the world. And they're always nice. They're always fun. Yes. They're, they're always fun. So I would say that Charles probably... If the $10 million is true, and it should be because he's, you know, he's the spine of that show, really. He's the person you go to see. Um, Turner's not a major network. Turner's not ABC or NBC or CBS. Turner's like ESPN. And not, you know, they're, they're one rung below network television, which is why, and don't get mad at me, ESPN. But when ESPN has a big event, it puts it on ABC as well because it's going to get more eyeballs. You know, the network, the over-the-air networks get more eyeballs. That's, That's how just, I found the ESPYs. Yeah, it was on ESPN. That was on, it was on ABC. Um, ABC. Yeah. That's what they do. That's what they do with the uh, NBA Finals. Of course they do that. So if this is what Charles makes, $10, 15000000 million a year, maybe $20 million a year for everything that he does, and they want to give him $100 million, I, I, who am I to scoff at $100 million? But I do think I'm one of those people who believes that there is a sort of a moral component here, and you need to think about it. Charles, uh, in a story in the New York Post, said that he had talked to people who had mentored him in the past, and he mentioned um, Greg Gumbel and Brian Gumbel 
and Michael Wilbon. And he said they all said take the money. Well, if they all said take the money, you know, I like all three of them. I really do. If they all said take the money, maybe I should back down a little bit. But my position would be, and it's complicated for me because the United States does business with Saudi Arabia. The president of the United States just was in Saudi Arabia and was famously photographed fist bumping with a guy who everyone thinks gave the order to kill Khashoggi. Everybody thinks that, including Phil, <laughs> you know, who went for the money early on. So there's a moral conflict here. You can, I believe, take the position that if your government is working with Russia, if your government is working with China, if your government is working with Saudi Arabia, why can't you? Why can't you take their money and work with them? I respect that position. Would I do it? You know, you never know until it's offered. It's not going to be offered to me, so I'm not going to have this moral conflict. So I'd like to think I wouldn't take it. But I don't know. I will love Charles just as much if he takes it. I don't know if that will hurt him in the United States of America with what he does. Are, I you, think familiar, might, are you familiar with Space Jams? I know what it is. Okay, do you remember the scene when he goes to play pickup basketball and he walks shoulders slumped and, you know, be gone. You're, not, you're just a wannabe. And you see the sad Charles. I mean, that's, that's what you'd worry about, that you start to lose those endorsements. You lose, yeah. you know, the, the yeah. March madness and, and just yeah. sort of the general goodwill of every sports fan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would worry about that if I was Charles. So I'd make my de- decision informed by what the worst case scenario would be. The best case scenario is you get a lot of money and everybody thinks it's okay. And within the next year or two, there's a merger of these tours and everything's good. So this is where the timing comes into play. You you talk about how smart Greg Norman is, whether it's been by his own decision-making or by the pressures outside of it, particularly, again, late winter by Phil. They have respected the timeline of a lot of players who are making these Uh, as they call it, business decisions as they're jumping over the live door. And you look at this and you say it's only going to become bigger as the PGA Tour, again, goes to a sort of a summer to, you know, a a early winter to late summer uh, FedEx Cup timeline. And there's people who are trying to cash all of that FedEx Cup money and then are going to say, thank you, goodbye. I think that they could do that after the FedEx Cup. I think that, you know, I think Cam Smith is a guy that goes. And I always think the international players go. Matsuyama is said to be thinking about going. And right? I think and I think Matsuyama, based on the golf crazy population that he represents, in would Japan. be the would be the biggest piece and probably put some sort of compromise in play. But Yeah. So that's what I, I think ultimately what I think is that there will be an accommodation made and the two people who have been sitting at the head of the families, Jay Monahan and Greg Norman, will be gone. That's what I think will happen. I think there'll be other people taking their places and shaking hands and hugging and saying, as Marlon Brando said, and this is the way we make the peace. <laughs> right? That's what I think. So I think it's going. You gave me that look. Now, I'm giving you the look because you can probably hear it in my voice. I love golf more than anything. And this is, again, coming back to movies from a certain time. This is like Regina George for me. I don't want to talk about it, but I can't help talking about yeah. it. And it just makes me sad across all fronts. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, we'll take a break. Can I say a quick thank you? Sure. Oh, please. I this forgot a, about this. This was a big day. Young Bootsy, five years old now, lost his first tooth. And imagine Right in this. the front. Lower right level in right the in the front. front. Okay, oh, so wow. uh, I'll, I'm going to leave you this question. What do you think the going rate is for the tooth fairy? As I say, thank you to Jesse Chernetsky from Mikutowski Woodworking. Who did and they do we, beautiful work. We yes, got three little, I'd call them treasure boxes. Yes. Uh, and they have embossed dinosaurs on them with the captain's. The Hammers and Bootsy's Tooth Fairy Box. That's great. And what's so great is someone recognizes what it's like to have three boys because they they uh, they write in the note and clearly these will be used for rocks, rocks, more rocks. <laughs> more rocks They're right. beautiful things, and they also sent along some gummy bears, which which I have to stop eating the Albanese gummy bears. <laughs> Why well, you? I gave you a whole bag to take. My home teeth to your are wife. rotting, and I've gotten fat. <laughs> yeah. um, it's really beautiful woodworking stuff. So what is the what gr- happened? Could you could you say? The way I understood the tooth fairy was that when your tooth fell out, you put your tooth under your pillow, and, what, and then at some point, the tooth fairy left what would you get? some money. What would you get? Like a, like a quarter? 
Yeah, the dime or a quarter. Yeah, well, now I think I gave my kids a dollar or something. So like with inflation, was about four hundred dollars right now. Yeah, with current inflation, uh, yeah, no, well, a Krugerrand. But I think, you but he has no concept of money. So right <laughs> now he's counting coins. So give him, he, give he's, him shop he's, credit. He's super, yeah, shop credit. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. it expires at the end of twenty twenty two. So tell the people. So. Bootsy is not though capable of taking the tooth out and putting so it this under was, this his was pillow. his first tooth he's very cautious the the doctor told him to wiggle it back and forth again these are boys who have grown up reading the Berenstein Bears go to the dentist so he's terrified that the dentist is going to take out the yankers uh, and it, it's been it's been hanging by a thread yeah. so we decide he's wanted uh he likes to be involved in dinner so we get him a hot dog thinking well, we'll just take a big bite out of a hot dog and that thing's gone gone it was uh he's he swallowed his tooth. Oh, no. he ate his own tooth. It's the first taste of cannibalism. <laughs> you could just see it as he ate his own tooth. You could just see in his face so that starts, he starts yeah. to realize, like, I got nothing for the tooth fairy. Yeah. Oh wow. So we had him draw a picture. Well, okay, that, that's a good. What'd you give him? A dollar. Oh, like a, a like coin one, dollar. One single dollar bill. Well, well, he's not gonna know what that is. He has no clue. But it's not like I'm gonna Venmo him hundred bucks. <laughs> We'll take a break. Richard Justice, when we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Lift your head up above the glass. It's morning time. This, this is sent to, Kev, sent to us by Kevin Dean, who writes, A good friend of mine who listens to you suggests that I send over my music. Give it a spin if you feel it. I've attached two songs from my album, Perfect Middle Hall. The first song is called Down the Mountain. The second is called Slowly By. I hope you and your listeners like them. Clearly has no clue who we are. None. <laughs> Zero. Right, but His band is called Cactus Lee. Yeah, but very it's, very talented. It's, it's very nice music. But when he says, a friend of mine who listens, like, what do you do, you know? Well, like, we... who are you? Should I send... <laughs> who is this guy I'm sending music to? How is he going to help me at all? Who is this guy? No. So... Well, yeah. hopefully we bring him in as a listener now. New music. Yes. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Richard Justice joins us now. I had prepared a list of questions. I always prepare a list of questions. And at the end of my list of questions, because I did not assume that what happened last night would happen, at the end of my list of questions was, you know, Astros playing Yankees and what do we make of this? Well, the Astros beat them twice yesterday. And Aaron Boone, afterwards, I saw this clip. And I really liked what Aaron Boone said. He said, don't, don't get carried away with this. We think we're a good team. We know they're a good team. If we end up playing here in the playoffs, we're going to show up. We beat them last year. Okay? And I thought Aaron Boone was 100% correct in saying that. But, Richie, what, what do, you know, this was in Houston. Two games, big double header. What do the people in Houston think of this? And what do you think of what Aaron Boone said? I think he was exactly right, that the narrative's not going to change until we beat them in October. They beat the Yankees. They had, the Astros had a stretch, a week-long stretch against the Yankees, and Messon went 7-2. and two. Against yeah. the Yankees uh, this year, they won uh, so what, four out of six, I think it is. But, uh, no, wait, two out of two. Yeah, four out of six. And um, never trailed in the series. The only two games they lost were ninth-inning meltdowns and almost had another one yesterday. But it doesn't matter. These two teams have such big leads. They're, they're going to the playoffs. They played before in October. The Astros have gotten the best of them. It's going to be who wins in October. And that's what makes the trade deadline so interesting. Like you have teams that are like Seattle. We want to get to the playoffs. But when you're Houston, when you're the Yankees, when you're the, really the Mets to a, to a lesser extent, even though they haven't been to the playoffs, it's we got to fine-tune our roster for – October. We want to win in October. And it's especially true in Houston. They, they Six straight years in the playoffs, World Series three out of five times, but they've only won one. And so they're in almost a, a panic mode to deepen their lineup a little bit. I mean, their pitching staff has been phenomenal. They, they lead the American League in team ERA, starter ERA, bullpen ERA, all that stuff. But they, they need another bat. 
Jordan Alvarez came back in his first at bat yesterday in game two, hit a home run, and and but they don't know when Michael Brantley's going to play again. You know, they've done a phenomenal job. They have young pitchers that they've meshed into the rotation in this stretch. They have two young 25-year-old players, Kyle Tucker and Jordan Alvarez, both made the all-star team. Done a great job, but you got to, you know, ultimately you're judged by how you do in October. I has one guy out there, and I didn't expect this, Richard, at the beginning of the year. I mean, I honestly never expected Juan Soto's name to be out right. there at the trade deadline. And I have my thoughts about that, what it means to the city where I live and what it means for fans of the Washington Nationals, who are now officially the worst team in baseball. But let's drop that for a second. Soto's name is out there. Um, I would assume there will be a large net cast by a lot of teams to try to get him, right? Yeah, the Mariners, the Padres, the Tampa Bay Rays, those are the three teams to keep an eye on. They have such deep farm systems that they, um, they can do that deal if they, if they choose to do it. Seattle is especially... Um, a team to keep an eye on. They haven't been to the plows, as you know, since 2001, the longest yeah. stretch going. Yeah. And they really want to get there. And they've done a great job. They, get, they, you know, they, they go into the second half, having won 14 in a row, playing the Astros a weekend series. They've got, they, they now play seven games against um, – the, they play the, the Yankees and, and the Astros. So they get a little barometer on where they're at as a team. But they can make that deal. You know, the Astros are pretty interesting in that I think – they they don't have a great farm system, but they have players you you could you could use to make that deal. But against it goes against everything they believe in that they want to be sustainable. You know, seven playoff appearances in eight years, yeah. six yeah. in a row, all that stuff, and they want to keep going. And you can't do that. You know, as I said, they mesh those young guys in. If you tra- keep trading those young guys away, and to get Verlander, to get Garrett Cole, they they have traded a bunch of guys. I don't see them doing it. I don't see them being in the market. I actually don't see the Yankees being in the market. It's going to take a ton of talent to do that. But when you look at what's available on the market, Josh Bell's, you know, is available. He's a good player and he's been on a good roll, but he's not a franchise changing player like Juan Soto is. There's two guys out there that fit that description. Luis Castillo, the pitcher for the Reds. And Juan Soto, you know, changes the whole look of your team. You know, another thing, Tony, to keep an eye on is, I mentioned this with the Yankees and Astros. When you when you acquire a, a big star at the trade deadline, it energizes your clubhouse. And the Astros have played; they've been, you know, they've won twenty five out of thirty four. They're almost thirty games over five hundred, but they're a tired team. And all those teams are starting to drag in all, in July and in August. And you bring a guy like a guy like that walks into your room. It changes the the complexion of your room. So that's why, you know, the Dodgers, the Astros, the Giants, they have to, all those, they have to weigh all of that is the energy. I saw it here in Houston in um, 2017 when Justin Verlander walked into the room. Changed the whole clubhouse. You know, front office believes in us. They're willing to pay a big price to do that. Let's go get them now. Um, So that's a factor, too. And Juan Soto does that more than any other player, probably five times more than any other player that's yeah. available. You know, I don't want to keep dwelling on this, and I know I do, that um, Scott Boris could be the devil. I mean, Scott <laughs> Boris is doing the job that players hire him to do. Right. Max me out. Get me the best deal in the world. It just sort of seems like Scott Boris has more power than he should have. I, you yeah, know, And, and um, I, can't, I can't rail against it because he's... He has accumulated this, and it has worked for him and his clients. I'm, I, I say it because I look at what happened with the Washington Nationals, and, you know, he kept Strasburg here, which is useless at the moment, and took a whole lot of players away. Is there, you know, philosophically, I, I guess I have to concede that he's doing his job better than anyone does it. Well, Strasburg's a good example, because what happened there? The player took control of the negotiations. The player took control. Scott, push it as far as you can, get as much money as you can, as many years as you can. Ultimately, though, me and my family, we're staying in Washington, D.C. The player has to take control at times. If you, if you allow Scott, I know one player told him, I want to play in South Florida, and he ended up playing for the Detroit Tigers. Um, but that's the control he influences. This is why you should do this, that, and yeah. the other. But he also believes, 
above everything else that the market, the free agent market, should determine a player's value. So that's why if the Nationals offer him $440 million, he's going to think, well, on the, on, the, on the market, I can get $550. And, but if, you know, that's a, that you're, you've mentioned this on the, on the show, that that puts Juan Soto in a position of risk. Um, I think. Yeah, I do. it's I absolutely. Do. How much money do you need? You know, I've told, told you the story before when the Rays signed Evan Longoria long-term. They, they told him, we, we think this is a great deal for us. And if you're the player we think you are, it maybe is not the best deal for you. But they, what they did was they took care of him when it, it found out that the contract was uh, undervalued. So he's going to the market. And if you're the Nationals, you have to trade him right now because a team that gets him whether they sign him or not is getting him for three pennant races and that is a big deal and every if you let it if you let him go and this thing go into the off season now it's two pennant races and that's not that's not the same value because you have to expect you're not going to re-sign him because scott's going to take it to the market and play the hell out of the market and nobody plays it better I'm, thank you for saying all that because it, it clarifies my thinking to a large degree and I can get off Scott Boris for a while. Um, <laughs> the other day we had Kirk Chin on and he believed, and you probably believe this too, that the greatest surprise, positive surprise in the first half of the season is the Baltimore Orioles. Absolutely. Their game above 500 in, in the toughest division in all sports, in all sports. You cannot believe how good this division is relative to basketball or hockey or baseball, you know, or football. Um, you covered, that's a pretty impressive list of Kirkjian, Justice, and Kenny Rosenthal. What are your thoughts about as you think back to the Orioles and covering them? I uh, love the city. I love the franchise. I love the uniforms, the hats, the ballpark, everything. I love everything about it. I know the general manager there, Michael Elias, very, very well, and his top assistant, Sig Dale. They have done a phenomenal job. But they had a plan. Do the Nationals, you know, not to bring it back to the Nationals, but do the Nationals have a plan? No. The plan in Baltimore selling. was we're no, going no. to trade every piece we have, every piece of silverware in the drawer, and we're going to accumulate uh, – Draft picks, we're going to have an open – our, rota- our uh, roster is going to be an open door, a revolving door. And they've done it. Look, Jordan Lyles, uh, their, their, their pitching has been really good the last month. Jordan Lyles is with his seventh team in 12 season. Dean Kramer was a the guy they got in a Machado trade. Tyler Wells was a Rule 5 guy. Spencer Watkins was released by the Tigers. Brian Baker was claimed off waivers. That's what you have to do. If you're a Nationals fan, not to bring it back to the Nationals – but their pitcher, Austin Voth, wasn't he with the Nationals? Sure. He said, they he said, you can't believe how much more information I got here and the plan that they had for me and the pitch usage and the different things they did with my mechanics. It's things I never had before. And if you're a Nationals fan, you go, wait, what the hell? How far behind have we fallen? When the Astros get a guy, get a new pitcher, like Ryan Presley, their closer, who's retired 27 in a row, they take him into a room and set him down and, and put all the data up on a board and say, now, th- these are your best pitches, this is your best motion, this is what you should be doing. And he, 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 in the case of Ryan Presley, he just, whoa, 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 it's too complicated. Just tell me what to throw and when to throw it. But the point is, you've got to keep up. The game is changing. And, he, and the teams that are so far out in front in the, in the use of data and what works and what doesn't, Rays, Yankees, Dodgers, Astros, Brewers, uh, teams like that, but yeah, you're right. Now, if I'm the Astros, if I'm, I mean, if I'm the Orioles, and I'm keeping an eye on things, I want to look at two things right off. Are they going to trade Trey Mancini? He's their most popular player, cancer survivor, a guy that's big in the clubhouse. The other thing is attendance. They've had ten crowds fewer than ten thousand. You know, and this is the one thing about a total rebuild is that, and it, we found this in Houston, found this in Baltimore, when fans go away. Sometimes they don't come back, and they find they can, they can live without it. The, or, the Astros, since their complete teardown, have never been back to $3 million again. Now they were 2 29 you know, and all that. Crowds did come back under Buck Showalter and Adam Jones and those guys, but not like it was before. It never was like it was in the early days of Camden Yards. So now 
The Orioles opened the second half with seven games against the Yankees and Rays. They're averaging they're 24th out of 30 teams in 16, 16,000 a game. But 10 crowds fewer than 10,000. you got to see if the fans are excited. This weekend against the Yankees will be a big litmus test for that. But they are a fun team to watch. This kid, Adley Rushman, they're 30-22 and 22 since calling him up. He was the number one pick in the draft three years ago. Their starting pitchers have been good. They are it would be it would be a cool thing if they could stay in the hunt down the stretch. I know that Wilbon always talks about talks disparagingly about analytics and yep. only likes managers who manage by the seat of their pants. Managers <laughs> who manage by the seat of their pants are sitting on a bus somewhere <laughs> while everybody else is going on a private jet. If you don't if you don't avail yourself of analytics, it, it, you know, that's not to say you have to be slavishly devoted to analytics, but you've got to know it. If that's true, if the Austin Volt story is true, and I'm sure it is true, it speaks very poorly about the Nats, doesn't it? It does. It does. And the thing is, you say, well, we invested in payroll. Well, that's not enough anymore. You have to invest. You have to take... um, Mike Elias didn't make a lot of friends in Baltimore when he got there because he laid off a lot of people. But what he did was he invested in in infrastructure, in hiring data analysts, people to give us the best advantage we can. That's that's how the game has changed. But don't call it analytics. Call it information. And you're saying, I don't want analytics. Are you saying you don't want information that you don't know? You don't want to know what pitch Mike will get Mike Trout in, uh, out on. You don't want to know what's the best pitch you could throw in this situation. That's really all it is, where this guy's going to hit the ball and all that. There is a certain seat of the pants issue. There's a famous story about Tony Gwynn, like a suspended game, a runner on second base, and he tells the third base coach, hey, uh, be ready tomorrow. He's going to throw me a first-pitch slider, and uh, I'm going to slap it in the, in, the, in the alley, and the game's going to be over. And he did just that. <laughs> but the, Yeah, but the point was, now they have they have cards that will tell you what that is going to do. You 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 if you don't do it, you have to you have to acknowledge that your team is behind. The Yankees have the largest and the Yankees have some money to spend, as you know. They also have the largest analytics department in Major League Baseball. And I ask a guy, I said, why, why do you say that? How do you know that? Because their teams are very secretive about the size, you know, the the size of, and and the sort of things they're working on on and all of that. And he goes, well, I went through LinkedIn, and if a guy has a math degree from MIT, I, I don't figure he's a pitching coach at double-A. <laughs> that's, that's the world we live in. Has it made the game yeah. better? Like, I don't judge it like – I don't judge it like that critically. I just go, the game's evolving. Let's see where it keeps evolving to. Yeah. You can't just have one guy, Jonah Hill, sitting in the back room. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> Thanks, Richie. Thank you, Tony. Richard Justice, boys and girls, we'll take a break. We're going to come back with Noah Petro. He is a NASA scientist. This is a Nigel special. We're going to ask about the Webb telescope and what it is showing us. And I'm going to sound like a buffoon with some of my questions. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, this is sent by Kevin Dean. The name of his group is Cactus Lee. He has no regard for us, has never heard of Big us. Big fan of the show. <laughs> just, you know, just sending his music out to whatever dope might play it. We're playing it because it's good. This is called Slowly By. Michael, if people like Kevin Dean want to send us their original music, and see if we'll play it. How do they do so? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonykornizershow.com. It's lovely music. It plays in Noah Petro, who is a friend of Nigel's, who works for NASA and is an actual scientist. I'm not a science major. I flunked every science course I ever took, every math course I ever took. I'm a talking major. So we'll try and come to some accommodation here. There have been stories lately about a telescope called the Webb Telescope that is apparently unbelievably better 
than the Hubble telescope. The Hubble telescope is something that I was told is the greatest telescope in the history of mankind. How is this better, Noah? How did, how did this happen? How, what is this showing us that the Hubble didn't? I think Wilbon said it best on Monday's show when he said that the uh, Summer League was, like, uh, was the stars of tomorrow today. And what Webb is, the stars of yesterday today. What Webb allows us to do better than Hubble is peer into the distant past. And when I say distant past, I don't mean 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 years. They've already discovered the oldest galaxy we've seen so far, 13.5 billion years old. And so what Webb allows us to do that Hubble couldn't is measure these very distant, very faint, and very small features in the universe with an accuracy that scientists could only have dreamed of with Hubble um, Webb is performing better than anybody expected. And, you know, it's been six months, a little over six months since it launched. And already the discoveries that it's made are rewriting the textbooks. Okay. So now is the beginning of the really stupid questions. <laughs> like, I'm, if you tell me it looks into the past, I think, mm -hmm. oh, whoa, I'm going to open up a door in my house and Abraham Lincoln is going to be standing there? <laughs> I thought, no, I thought the past was yep. the past, that it was gone, that I don't, conceptually, mm -hmm. I don't understand how it does this. So I know, the, the, I think the best analogy that I can think of, and I'm a, a big baseball fan, I don't get to sit in the Saliza seats, I usually sit in the <laughs> Nigel seats, and so what, what happens... When you watch a baseball get hit, is usually if you're sitting where I sit, you see the ball get hit, and a beat later, you hear the sound, or right. you, you hear the crack of the bat. Light travels faster than sound. Light travels at a speed 186,000 miles per hour, what we like to call in the business Jason Worth speeds. And so what happens <laughs> is the further away you are from the Earth, you know, light takes time to get to you. So from the Earth to the moon... 1.5 seconds. When Neil Armstrong said one small step for man, 1.5 seconds after he said it, it gets to Earth. Light cannot travel any faster than it does. That's just the way it works. So events that happened at the formation of the universe about 14 billion years ago, we think, light from that event travels. And if it happened very, very far from where we are on Earth, it's going to take time to get to us. And so when we look at a picture uh, from Webb of a distant galaxy, the light from that took time to get to us. It took 13.4 billion years to get from when it happened to us. The same way if you're doing, you know, a remote interview with Bob Ryan or someone on the other side of the earth, there's always a baked in little bit of a delay. Well, that delay right. builds right. up the further from Earth you get, and these happen to be the most distant objects we've ever seen, so, uh, and yeah. it just takes that long to get here. Are we seeing them, or are we imagining what oh. they were because of the calculations from the speed of light? Are we actually oh, yes. seeing it? Yes, we're actually, so we're actually seeing it as it happened that ah. far in the past. So far in the past, past the nationals were actually good. So <laughs> what, what you, you have to do is, put, it, it is... It, it's hard. This is, this is not, you know, you're a doctor, you know, but this is <laughs> hard for even us doctor. to understand that light, you know, but this, the benefit of being able to look this back in the past is that we see galaxies form. We see solar systems form. So we get this view of the whole life cycle of mm -hmm. solar systems, of universes, and we get to use this tool, the web telescope, to kind of survey the sky and kind of you see what's going on. Where are we now with the universe today? But we can recreate, okay, this thing was happening 13.5 billion years ago, and this thing happened uh, a billion years ago. And we can look at planets in our own solar system and what's happening at those planets today and use that to paint a broad picture of you know, the whole evolution of the universe. It's very simple stuff, the whole evolution of the universe. And I can because... It's mind-blowing. Do we think, I mean, as we watch these things and we get 
more and more knowledge than we ever dreamed of. Mm -hmm. Does that lead us to the closer conclusion that there is intelligent life out there uh, other than us? Or do so we think it isn't? What, what, what Webb will do is help us understand where, where life isn't. The Webb telescope is built to do a lot of things, but it will not necessarily directly say, ah, here is uh -huh. life on another planet. Right. But what it can do is help us say, well, there's nothing here that sign, there's no signs of water. One of the most important announcements that came out last week was not only the images, but some of the data of water vapor emitting from a planet around another star. And when I saw that, that was, for me, the most exciting thing, because I thought, holy smokes, we now can do that. What it can't do is say, ah, and now there's other signs of life on this planet. But Webb is not alone. We have Earth-based telescopes. We have other objects, other telescopes in space that can look at these things. So it's part of a whole suite of, of telescopes on the Earth and in space that can help us address and under, understand where life is, maybe, or isn't. And the successors to Webb, the following telescopes, will help us refine that. But again, one of the most spectacular things that will happen from Webb are the things that we don't expect. So as much as I said, well, you know, it may not, who knows? You know, the, the future, right now we have at least five years more of, of operation time on Webb and probably 15. And in that time, the pace of discovery is going to accelerate to a point where maybe in a certain amount of time we'll say, hey, here's a planet that looks like it has all of the ingredients for supporting life, and we throw every instrument at it. And, you know, that's where the, the joy in these discoveries will come. Okay. So if I were doing the movie here, mm -hmm. I would have somebody in space, some creature, some thing, and I would have this creature or thing looking at the web telescope and pointing his finger at it and saying, get, the, get this thing out of here, <laughs> and just going zap, and it disappears. Mm -hmm. This thing's flying around somewhere. Um, uh, Nigel told me mm -hmm. he got hit by meteors the other day. Yeah. What is the danger? I mean, this is a... Oh. What is the danger that the web is just going to be brought down, you know, like a duck at some point? <laughs> well, certainly that's, the, that's the, the, the danger. You know, this is, this, uh, the web is a million miles from Earth. Um, it's in a, a part of space that, that is just like everywhere else in space. There are things flying through space. So, yeah, they got zapped by a meteorite. Now, they expected that to happen. Now, they might not have expected it to happen in the first six months, but it was within... But they, hey, we know this is going to happen. It will degrade over time. So that was sort of part of the plan that this is just going to naturally degrade. But again, it started operating so much better than we expected. So even in its degraded mode, and I'm not saying that what they're doing now is any worse than, than what they expected, but this is going to happen. So there is, space is a risky place. There is the, always the risk that something would happen to it that we couldn't predict, can't right. prevent. Right. Um, now, you know, again, remember, if there's some creature a, a million light years from us right now, uh, <laughs> when it points its finger and says, stop looking at me, it's still going to take a yeah, million take a years. To, for, right. So it will take far too long for it to actually do anything negative to web. These pictures it sends back are mm -hmm. clear pictures. I don't have clear pictures on my television. So <laughs> these are clear <laughs> pictures from deep space from a, a billion miles away. Really? Oh, yeah. Um, and, really? and the, the, the reason it can like be you so clear. This? <laughs> oh yeah, well, oh. It's, it's science. <laughs> but and, and Did I you think see Capricorn certain, one. I, <laughs> you ever see Capricorn one? Just oh so yeah. You know. okay. I oh I talked about Capricorn one yesterday, and oh. <laughs> I think you know people should always understand the process it takes from data coming down from a million miles away, processing. So so when we see these images, scientists take the data and say, well. We calibrate it. We know how the instrument works to make it as clear as possible. And that's not what I'm not saying is it's not inventing or, or adding anything. That is the data. And it is, again, sharper uh, than your television, than my television. Because that's the way it was designed. <laughs> it was designed to be able to do this, to operate at incredibly cold temperatures and return this incredible treasure trove of data. So, I mean, honestly, when I mm -hmm. think about these things... I am amazed that whoever had the original vision to do this, 
that other mm-hmm. people got on board. This must cost millions and millions of dollars. I mean, even the the build on it. Who do you call up and say build us? You know what I'm saying? It just yeah. it seems so fantastic to me. It's not like making a bat out of a dead piece of wood. <laughs> no. It's not. No. Well, the, the the designs for this telescope started in the mid '90s. Uh, there was a recognition. Okay, we're doing Hubble. What's next? We always are asking, what's next? What's next? What's next? And so with this, this. Again, it looks very different than any other telescope. It doesn't have the long, uh, you know, shaft of a telescope. It's, again, in deep space. It was built at, at, at Goddard in Greenbelt, Maryland. It was Parts of it were built all around the world. This is NASA. This is the European Space Agency, the Canadian Space Agency coming together, and let's do this. So, so yeah, the price tag is, is, pardon the pun, astronomical. Yeah. But, again, this is it. This is something that we've been paying for for, for decades and now the return comes to us. This is multiple Juan Sotos uh, invested in deep space. And the science return, again, the textbooks that my kids will read, that um, your grandchildren will read, will be informed by the discoveries of this. And then the successor to Webb will, will only build on it. Thanks so much for, for being on the show. I don't know how much I understood. And I don't know how much anybody <laughs> understands, but it's, it's cool. It's a cool thing. Thank you, Noah. Oh, thank you. Anytime. Noah Petro, boys and girls. We'll take a break. We will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The great Chris Ullman, the world champion whistler. World champion, yes. You know, he sent me birthday wishes the other days. Whistled me happy birthday the other day, Chris Ullman. Very, very nice. Now, do you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Yes, Bethesda Bagels. We love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you'll be thrilled. That's just about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let's quote Bruce Springsteen. There were ghosts in the eyes of all the boys you sent away. They haunt this dusty beach road in the skeleton frames of burned-out Chevrolets. They scream your name at night in the streets. Your graduation gown lies in rags at their feet and in the lonely cool before dawn. Hear their engines roaring on, but when you get to the porch, they're gone on the wind so mary climb in it's a town full of losers i'm pulling out of here to win it's that's that's the greatest lyric he's ever written may not be the greatest song he's ever written born to run it's not for me thunder road is better others are better that's the greatest lyric yes that's just the greatest thanks to our guest today richard justice and noah petra Thanks to our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Remember that you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. These are all new email. And this is for a quick quick note for Robin. Uh, the Johnny Oko TK Ham 3 should still be active uh, for the rest of the month, so thank you for asking. Ham 3? TK Ham. Ham. This is for the hammer, TK Hammer. 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 Three. He's uh, three he's, years old. Yes, he's he's still three years old, though you wouldn't know. He's got a nice wooden <laughs> box now. He does, and he has all he his has, teeth. Does he have teeth already? His teeth, yeah. The old captain does not have teeth yet. Oh, when do you get think. teeth? That's six or seventeen. Maybe. Yeah, I was laughing at this, like it's a joke. <laughs> From Jeff McAleer in Springfield, Virginia, with news that Strasburg won't pitch again this year. I did not know this. This just won't did. pitch again this year. I felt compelled to do some math. Since the World Series, Strasburg has thrown 528 pitches for the Washington Nationals. At a rate of $35 million per year, that's $105 million. That means for the last three years, Strasburg has earned $198,863.63 per pitch. My house is going on the market soon. I'd accept somewhere between three and four pitches for <laughs> From Evan Solustro. Phoenix, Arizona, listening to Tuesday's pod made me wonder how large a number $440 million is. According to the Wikipedia, expected GDP for the Dominican Republic for 2022 is $90 billion. Juan Soto just turned down a contract worth 2% of his country's gross domestic product. In Scott Boris, he trusts. From Aubrey Rucker in Birmingham, Alabama, I drive an Amazon truck for a living. I think I'd have taken the $440 million. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I get these messages all the time from Amazon. They say $37.50 an hour to drive. $440 million sounds better. A little better. Chris yes. Band sells in Forest Hill, Maryland. I graduated from Falston High School in 1998. Our mascot was the Cougar, and our yearbook was called the Catamount, which, of course, is just another name for a Cougar. 
You know who the Catamounts are in college basketball? That's uh, Vermont. Vermont, that's right. Yes. There are a lot of Cougars, Houston Cougars, but Vermont Catamounts. Drew in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I went to Richmond Hill High School. Our mascot was the Wildcat. Our yearbook was also called the Wildcat. We did not have a creative writing program. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. From Drew from Brandon, Manitoba in Canada. Is this the new game, European Showers? If so, here is my submission. During my junior year of high school, my school offered the opportunity for the members of the French program to go on a trip to France, seeing the city of Paris, the region of Provence, and the city of Nice in that order. At the hotel in the Provence region, a no-bathroom situation, the shower had three full-size tiled walls and one half wall. When I say it was a half wall, I'm not talking about a wall that raised up half the way. It traveled halfway horizontally. There was a doorway, if you could call it that, that stretched from the floor to the ceiling. The person I was rooming with and I tried to stop the flow of water with the towels in the room, yet it still flowed through the towels and threatened to reach the carpet in the main area of the hotel room. Is that, if that is not nerve-wracking, I do not know what is. P.S. Am I the only little who whistles or hums the Dan Burns song whenever they hear you open a yardstick? No, no, everybody does. We all do. Um, from Ara Coliance. Every year, our family of four load up the van and head to the beach for summer vacation in anticipation of the 12-plus-hour drive. I usually save up several weeks' worth of your show to listen to. As we were driving through the Midwest, just south of Toronto, that's funny. I heard you mention the new Grater's ice cream and how terrible it is compared to the old Grater's ice cream. In that moment, I assumed that my wife, a Cincinnati native, would have information on what happened. I immediately paused in the episode, turned to my wife, who was fast asleep in the passenger seat. I shouted loudly, what happened to Grater's ice cream? She slowly woke up and turned to me with a confused look on her face. What are you talking about, she said. I continued, Mr. Tony said the new Grater's ice cream isn't good. Do you know what happened? She proceeded to stare at me like I was speaking another language, rolled back over towards the window, and fell back asleep. Alas, I have no answers. P.S. I went to West Lafayette High School in West Lafayette, Indiana. We were the Red Devils, and our yearbook was called the Trident. Thank you, Ara. A couple more. Chris Cavanaugh, Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, Thank this, you. Yeah, this is our runner. Thank you for reading the email about the Badwater 135-mile ultramarathon on the show. A friend I'd neither seen nor heard from in years texted to let me know he heard it and wished me luck. Connective tissue indeed. A brief update on the race. So he'd ran this race. Yes. It's, I know a person, the wife of someone that works on Around the Horn, I'm not going to mention names, who ran in this race as well. And I was told by Bonnie that she practiced by running on the hottest days of the year wearing three and four sweatshirts to get used to this. A brief update on the race from Chris Cavanaugh. I managed not to die. I finished just a hair over 34 hours, a mere 11 hours after the winner, but well ahead of the cutoff of 48 hours. I listened to six episodes of the show in the early hours of the race. The show does indeed stink. One episode didn't download properly, and I found myself yelling representative at my phone at 3 a.m. in the middle of Death Valley where there is zero cell coverage. It was as if Comcast was my carrier out there. The highlight was having my daughter on my support team and running several miles with her through the night under the brilliant full moon. She's a redhead. I think she was concerned about getting a moon burn. Despite my wife's protestations, I'm sure I will find another ridiculous race like this to train for, and I will listen to the orange one as I do. Keep up the great work, and please tell my friend Mike Riker to eat it. And Sarah, pictures of Team Kavanaugh. Just lovely. Just amazing. Yes. Just lovely. Congrats, mate. From Ruck. Mr. Tony, they changed the package. Don't want any confusion on your end. Ruck, from the Soviet Safeway. There's a new Lucerne... It's new. The yeah. new Lucerne, it's the same colors. Yes. Is it large curd? Yes. Is it 4%? From Matt Hagen. Dear Mr. Tony and gang, nearly a couple of years ago, I had an email read on the air in which I chastised my then-girlfriend for her ludicrous views on grilled cheese, but also praised her for her burgeoning disdain of Subarus. She then wrote in several months ago to update the gang on our engagement and complain how the grilled cheese debate and the show played a role in it. Well, the time has come, and attached you will find an invitation for the whole gang to our upcoming wedding. The date is July 23rd. Well, what good does that do us? <laughs> okay, yeah. is it not, is, is that tomorrow? Yes, that's tomorrow. Well, well, if we leave now. The date is July 23rd in St. Paul, Minnesota. One of the appetizers will actually be mini grilled cheeses. No word on whether mayo or butter will be used. I will plan to spend our next few anniversaries at the wedding venue just in case this email gets caught in the podcast delay and you read it a ways down the road and show up late. 
All the best, and with appreciation for the role you played in our earlier relationship, which still confuses me and probably infuriates her. Matt Hagen and the woman to whom he will soon be related by marriage, Lindsay Ryan of Pelican Rapids, Minnesota. P.S. Could you ask Saliza to bring his solo stove? We're having a s'more station in the back courtyard. We could use an extra fire to go with mine. <laughs> from Bill Garner in North Potomac, Maryland. The O's drafted a seven-foot pitcher from St. Leo. I haven't heard of them since Big John stopped coaching. <laughs> wow. A seven-footer? Seven-footer, yeah. Tallest player ever, yeah. And one more from Donnie Matthews in Commerce City, Colorado. On Monday's show, you read an email from Brian Kearns from Jefferson, Maryland, about his adventures with UK hotels. I know that guy. We grew up together at Walkersville High School. We played football. He was pretty good. I played basketball. I was decent. He went to Catholic University. I went to Shenandoah. Yeah, that Shenandoah. I was the tuba slash basketball player who played against Matumbo in Georgetown that you love to make fun of. I haven't talked to Brian in forever, but his email I know made me and fellow Little and other Walkersville alum, NBC golf producer Joe Martin, very happy. Connective tissue, kids. If you're out on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white. You know what ought to happen to them? They ought to be stabbed by cocktail forks. Oh, my. <laughs> Lift your head up above the glass. It's morning time. This time will pass. This time will pass. Time to run, not time to stay. You can't run your little life away. Your little life away. You're Stopped on a west gate. 
Venus trapped by the sunlight 